Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So great to be with you, whether you're sitting out in the sun here or at home in the warmth of your living room. Uh, I'm really glad to be here on this uh, beautiful, crisp fall day. You know, I really love fall. How many love fall? Yes. Uh, I was born in the fall. I got married in the fall. The twins won two World Series in the fall many, many years ago. Uh, sorry about this year. I thought we'd still be playing, but didn't happen. But at least we have beautiful leaves that are turning. And I do love the changing of the seasons. Uh, I think God does special things in each season physically and also in each season of our lives, spiritually and relationally. And we're at a new season at Mercy, aren't we? We're in a rebuilding season. We've been searching for a new lead pastor who will lead us into the wonderful future that God has for us. We're getting closer to discerning and receiving the person that God is calling to lead us. So please be praying for our leadership team as we continue to seek God. Uh, last week, uh, Leo did a great job finishing our series on values from Micah 6.8. Uh, we looked at what does the Lord really want from us? And he says to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Today we're going to begin a new series of messages, and we'll be looking at the life of someone that I think really exemplified these values, a man named Nehemiah. And so we're calling our series, Everybody Gets to Play, Nehemiah on Leadership. I think uh, the book of Nehemiah has so much to teach us about rebuilding both the walls of a city and the lives of the people who live there. And Nehemiah demonstrates so many of the qualities of a great leader who serves God and people well. Of course, you know, Jesus is the ultimate consummate leader. He is the, the good shepherd. That's the dominant image of leadership really in the Bible, a shepherd. And he came to give us shepherds after his own heart. Each week, we're going to explore a different leadership characteristic from a chapter in the book of Nehemiah. As we do that, we'll see things like Nehemiah's heart for God and people, his deep concern and compassion. We'll see him in prayer. We're going to look at that today, confessing his own sins and the sins of God's people. We'll see him receiving strength and wisdom from God. We'll see him preparing and planning. We'll be looking at that more next week behind the scenes. We'll see him casting a compelling vision and encouraging everyone to participate because guess what? Everybody gets to play in the kingdom of God. We'll see him dealing with discouragement and overcoming spiritual attacks. We'll see him being generous to those in need and working for justice. We'll see him celebrating with God's people as they rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem in only 52 days. Isn't that amazing? I think it is amazing what we together as God's people can accomplish, as God empowers us and leads us forward through wise and inspiring leaders. So today we're going to look at leaders, how leaders pray. So let me pray, and then we'll take a look at Nehemiah 1. Lord, I thank you that you are the good and the great shepherd. You gave your life for us as your people. We thank you that you come to lead us into green pastures, pastures where we'll be nourished well, uh, beside quiet waters. You come to restore our souls. You come to walk with us even though when we go through dark valleys, we don't have to be afraid because your rod and your staff, you comfort us. We thank you that you go ahead of us and you know the next uh, feeding place, as it were, and you protect us. We thank you 
Lord, that uh, surely your goodness and mercy will follow us and chase us down all the days of our life. Thank you that we can together live with you and your people forever. So, Lord, we pray that as we look through the book of Nehemiah, we'd really learn what you have for us. And the Holy Spirit, you'd help uh, highlight things to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. So here is uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, probably November, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. That was kind of the winter capital. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah didn't go back to the land. He stayed in Persia and served. He was a government official. We'll see later he was the cupbearer of the king. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, Nehemiah's heart was broken when he heard about Jerusalem's destruction. And so he turned to the one who could do something about it, to the God of heaven, who was also his dear friend. Now, to give you some background and context here, in 587 B.C., I read about all this. I'm not that old. Anyway, in 587 B.C., uh, God sent Israel into exile in Babylon because they refused to stop worshiping idols, idols like money, sex, and power. We don't know anything about that, but that was a problem they had way back then, right? And God had warned them through the prophet Jeremiah for many, many years, but they refused to listen. So Babylon invaded and, and demolished Jerusalem, leaving only the very poorest behind to work the land. King Nebuchadnezzar took the brightest and the best young people captive to Babylon to serve in his court, including Daniel and his friends. And Daniel became a great leader in Babylon. He served several kings for over 70 years. One day, he was reading in the book of Jeremiah that God was promised to bring his people back to their land after 70 years. He did the calculations, and he realized, well, that's coming up soon. So he began to pray for that to take place. I think Daniel's a great example. He read scripture, and he prayed scripture. We'll talk more about that later this morning. And so God then moved King Cyrus of Persia to send God's people home with resources to rebuild. And so they returned, many of them, and began to rebuild the temple. But they stopped due to outside interference and their own greed and self-centeredness. They began to build their own homes. They disregarded God's home. So God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to challenge and encourage them to begin rebuilding again. And they did, and they finished a much smaller temple. It's interesting if you read Haggai and Zechariah. Again, everybody gets to play. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people through the, the, through the vision that Haggai and Zechariah cast. Now, over 50 years later, 458 B.C., God sent Ezra back to teach the Bible and help rebuild the people's relationship with God. But the surrounding nations did not want Jerusalem to prosper. So they attacked regularly and consistently, and they destroyed much of the rebuilding. You can read about this in Ezra 4. 
This destruction probably resulted in the ruins that Hanani was telling Nehemiah about. So now God is in the process of sending Nehemiah to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So there's the theme here as I've been trying to say, God sends people. He sends people to do great things, to rally his people, to lead them forward. Ultimately, he sent Jesus to come and rescue you and I by giving his life. And guess what? John, Jesus says in John 20, even as the Father sent me, so I'm doing what to you? I'm sending you. Now, uh, I mentioned the title of this. Everybody gets to play Nehemiah on leadership. You might wonder, well, how do those two things relate? Everybody gets to play and leadership. Well, I, I'm, I've been convinced by the Jesuits that everyone is a leader. All of you are leaders, no matter how old you are. And everyone's leading all the time. Sometimes in a really good direction, sometimes in not so good a direction. Every, sometimes we're leading well, sometimes we're leading poorly, but we're always influencing. I was a leader before I ever met Jesus. I was the one that organized the games because I wanted to play. I was the one that guided my friends to do good things and sometimes not very good things. We're all leaders and we all get to play. The Lord is sending us to serve him. Now, the first thing Nehemiah did was to turn to God. And he began to pour out his heart in prayer. And you'll see in the book of Nehemiah, there's at least nine different times that Nehemiah prays. He prays all kinds of prayers, even like Paul encouraged us in Ephesians 6. Pray all kinds of prayers all the time for all of God's people. So Nehemiah prayed prayers of thanksgiving. He prayed prayers of anguish, prayers of joy, prayers for protection, prayers for wisdom, prayers of dependence and commitment. And he prayed with compassion. His heart was in his prayers. And he prayed persistently. He prayed for himself, and he prayed for God's people. It's interesting, when we planted our church in Evergrove Heights about 30 years ago, one of my great friends over many years, and still to this day, is Steve Nicholson, who pastors the Evanston Vineyard, just turned it over to Ted Kim. And uh, I asked Steve, well, What's it like to be retired? Well, I'm like you. I'm not actually retired. I'm still working. I'm just, I just have a different boss now. And he said, but I'm so glad everybody else reports to Ted. <laughs> and I report to Ted. Uh, but Steve told me early on when we were planning the church, he said, how much do you pray? And I thought, like, is this a test? Like, I don't know. Am I going to pass this test? Are you going to say, no, you can't plan a church? And he said, well, I said, you know, I don't know. I'll, you know, I pray all through the day. I pray whatever, wherever I'm doing. He said, come on. How much do you actually sit down and pray? And I said, you know, I don't sit and pray much because most of the time when I sit and pray, it goes like this. I'll pray for maybe two, three minutes, and then I'll fall asleep. So I have to walk when I pray, or I just don't, like, stay awake. He said, you're dodging. How much do you pray? I said, well, maybe, like, I pray an hour, 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 hour and a half a day. I said, that's awesome. He said, you need to double that. I said, what? And he said, you do. And he said, and so if you're going to pray two or three hours, he said, I want to encourage you, pray the first hour and 45 minutes for yourself, and then the other 15 minutes for others. And I thought, that's kind of, like, selfish. He said, you don't get it. He said, if you don't do that, you will really be selfish. If you pray to God and, and look to him, he'll change your life, and you'll love other people way, way more. And so I've been trying to do that. I've been doing that here at Mercy as well. Now, when I, before I came to Jesus, I never prayed. I don't know that I ever prayed much at all, except for times like this. Oh, God, please help my parents be asleep when I get home late past curfew. <laughs> Anybody else ever pray the prayers like that? 
You know, what's amazing in the mercy of God, he answered those prayers, like all the time. They were all sleeping when I would get home. I realized later he was probably trying to say something to me. I am really there. I really will hear your prayers. And I'll hear other kinds of prayers from you too, John. So then I came to Jesus and I wanted to learn to pray. I was in groups and people would pray out loud. I'd never prayed out loud. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to say. I didn't want to make a mistake. I'm still kind of a recovering perfectionist. <clears throat> so, but I learned to pray by praying with other people. I learned to pray by listening to their prayers. And I would, I would say to this day, I probably learned more about the faith and the heart and the relationship people have with God through their prayers than anything else. Now, it doesn't mean I don't learn from other things, other conversations, but that's a time when we're like most vulnerable, right? We're most open. And so I love praying with other people. So I've learned to pray by praying with other people, by reading books about prayer, I'll mention a couple in a second, and by listening to the prayers of God's people in the Bible. A couple books helped me early on when I was trying to figure out how to pray. Rosalind Rinker, I don't know if anybody of you old enough to ever remember that name, but you can, you can uh, check on Amazon and she's there. She had two books, Prayer Conversing with God, like prayer is an actual conversation with a real person. You can just be yourself. That was so helpful to me. And then communicating love through prayer, that what God wants to do through your prayers for others is help them know he really loves them. And, they, and you can actually find ways to communicate love through prayer that is super powerful. Those are two books that I'd encourage you to read. A couple others, John Wimber's got a book called Prayer, Intimacy with God, really tiny, really short, just about heart. And then a bigger book, probably the most comprehensive book I've read on prayer by Richard Foster, Prayer, the Heart's True Home. He goes through every kind of prayer. It's an awesome book. So we can learn to pray by praying with each other by reading books, and by listening to the prayers of people in the Bible. So what can we learn from Nehemiah as he continues to pray in chapter 1? He says this, After many days where he mourned, fasted, and prayed, he says this, Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his command of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down, see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. We see here that Nehemiah prays with confidence because he knows God is a great and a mighty God who can be completely trusted. So who's Nehemiah speaking to? He's speaking to the God of heaven not a local God of the surrounding nations. He's the great and the awesome God, the one who can change any situation and who can change anyone's life. He's the sovereign Lord and he loves us with an unfailing, totally reliable love. Uh, a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago now, I read Tim Keller's wonderful book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Now, why did I read that? Well, I read it like so I could be a better pastor to people like you who will go through pain and suffering. I wasn't planning to go through any pain and suffering, but who knew? Soon afterwards, both my wife and I had a number of health issues. She almost died. I think I did die in Mazatlan and came back to life, honestly. It doesn't really matter. I'm alive now, and we're both alive. Uh, I'm, uh, so I read that book. I'm so glad I did. One of the main things I remember from that book... I encourage you to read it, 
is he talked about that we need to know that God is both the sovereign one and the suffering one. If we separate those two and only focus on one, we don't have a full picture of God. If we think God is just the sovereign one, then we might feel like, well, he's kind of distant, maybe a little cold. He's not really engaged with my ordinary real life. But if we only see him as the suffering one, not the sovereign one, then yes, he's really engaged with me, but can he really do something? Does he have the power to change me? The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign one and the suffering one. And Jesus himself is the king of kings. He says, I have all authority in heaven and earth. And didn't Jesus suffer incredibly so you and I could be rescued and have a relationship with God? And he feels with us. He feels with us at this time. And he can do something to help you and me. That's the God that Nehemiah prayed to. And he continued to pray. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, all the way to St. Paul or Invergrove Heights, where I live, uh, even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. I'm just going to stop there. When I was reading that this week, I thought, you know, whether you're here in the sunshine here or at home, in the warmth of your home, or listening somewhere else, there are times where you might feel you've been exiled, where you're just, you're, you're just not as close to God as you want. Maybe you feel like, you know, I've done some stuff. I wish I hadn't done it, but I actually did it. I feel bad about doing it. I don't know how to come back. Can I just encourage you from these words, even if you feel like you've been exiled to the ends of the earth, just return, just come back, and he'll bring you home. Because our God is a great father who loves all of his children, and he wants you back. I remember a time after I graduated college, I was living in Dinkytown in Minneapolis, up in an attic, unheated attic. I lived there till December, and then I couldn't stand it anymore, and I had to find a place with heat. Uh, and, and I was struggling with my life. I was a young college student, didn't, couldn't get a job, couldn't get a girlfriend, you know, one of the most important things in life, you know. I was struggling, and I was thinking, ah, can Jesus do something with me? And I wasn't, as my friend said, I wasn't having the fun of the sinner or the joy of the saint. I was in an in-between place. It was not fun. <laughs> one day I was walking somewhere, and I felt God said, you know, Johnny, my mom called me Johnny. Johnny, why don't you just come home? Why don't you just come home? You know I love you. You know I'm there for you. And I just cried, and I came back. And I'm so grateful for the mercy and the grace of God. So if you're in that place, just come home. Just come home. He goes on, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of all those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success. That's a biblical prayer, friends. You can pray that. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me put it into his heart to be kind to me in those days i was the king's cupbearer we'll look at this more next week but a cupbearer basically nehemiah would test the wine and test the food that was going to be offered to the king so in case someone poisoned it nehemiah would get sick maybe nehemiah would die but the king wouldn't so because of that they had a super close relationship and we'll look into that more next week 
So Nehemiah prayed with confidence to a great God who could really do things. And then he prayed with faith because he knew that God speaks to his people and he makes promises that he will keep in Scripture. So Nehemiah knew the Old Testament, and he let, which was his Bible. And he let Moses' words in Deuteronomy 4 shape his prayers. You can look up Deuteronomy 4, 26 to 30. You'll see almost a direct quote here from Nehemiah. Now, again, in my journey of wanting to learn how to pray, wanting to learn how to have faith and follow Jesus, I read the biography of a guy named George Mueller. Anybody ever heard the name George Mueller? It's, kind of, it's, it's, it's really worth reading his biography if you, if you have, have a chance. Uh, he was known for his, for his prayer and faith as he cared for orphans in Br Bristol, England. Now, one of the best-loved Mueller stories comes to us from Abigail Townsend Loof. When she was a child, her father assisted Mueller in the ministry, and she spent time at Ashley Down Orphanage. Early one morning, Mueller led her into the long dining room set for breakfast, all lots of kids all around the table, but no food. And he began to pray, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. The children at the table asked, uh, Mr. Mueller, uh, where's the food? <laughs> and there was a knock at the door. It was the baker who was unable to sleep because he was sure the Lord wanted him to wake up and bake bread for Mueller and the children. Children, Mueller said, we not only have bread, but we have fresh bread. But some of the children asked, uh, anything to drink with our bread? Almost immediately, they heard a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage. And he said, I have to offload this milk. Could you use it? They, of course, said yes, completing the meal. So... These things happen regularly for Mueller and the children. And so people will often say to him, how did you develop such a great prayer life? How did you develop such great faith, George? And he'd say, you know, I'm not really good at praying without scripture. I just don't, I can't get started very well. So what I do is I start by meditating on scripture. And when I read God's promises in the Bible, I get faith and I pray. So he said, meditation is the bridge between Bible reading and praying. I have found the same thing to be true in my own life. So I would just encourage you, this is a great habit to develop. Read scripture and pray it. Now, often when I pray for people online now, or when I pray in person, I ask, could you give me a scripture that might be helpful? Helpful for them, helpful for me as I get going in prayer. And so uh, I, I have inadvertently memorized lots of the Bible. What I mean is I haven't intentionally tried. I've just read it so many times that it has stuck. And so whether you're good at memorizing or not so good like me, don't worry about it. But just read and let God stir you and give you faith. So Nehemiah prayed with confidence. Nehemiah prayed with faith. Nehemiah prayed with hope because he knew that God is a God who not only speaks but also listens to the cries of his people and cares for them. I want to encourage you to pray because God does change situations. Sometimes it takes a long time. Some of you have heard of St. Augustine. His mother, Monica, was a wonderful woman who loved Jesus with all her heart, and she loved her son. Her son was in a bad, dark place for years. She prayed for Augustine for 25 years. 
And one day, he's sitting in a park, and there are a bunch of kids playing a game. It was kind of like ball and jacks. And one of the phrases was, pick it up and read, pick it up and read, pick it up and read. As he's hearing them, it hits him. I need to pick up the Bible and read. Now, of course, that makes sense, right, from the kid's game. But she had prayed for him for 25 years, and his heart was turned, and he opened up the scripture, and he read this passage, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn away from the lusts of the flesh, which was like a big deal in his life. And he gave his life to Jesus. Pray, because God changes situations. I don't mean he changes them instantly, but he does change them. And he will change you as you pray, and me. So I love the things I see in Nehemiah's life. He was committed to prayer. He was genuine and honest. He was sacrificial. He prayed and fasted many days. How many of you really love to fast? Trying to find a few hands. There's a couple that are halfway rising here. You know, I don't love the fast either, but I really do love the results of fasting. So if you want to learn a lot of tips on fasting, probably don't come to me. Probably go to Tommy, because he's like way better than I am. All right, I just called him out. He is. Uh, Nehemiah sacrificed. I'm learning how to cook this COVID season. My wife and I cook about three times a week together. I'm actually loving it. I've never cooked much in my entire life. But so Nehemiah took the time from cooking, and he devoted it to praying. He was persistent. He was honest. How can you and I grow in prayer? Years ago, a man who had a prophetic gift came to me and says, I think I have a word for you. I was excited because he was a trusted voice. And he says, God says to you, John, you're a prayer warrior, and he is very pleased with you. I was so confused. I have never thought of myself as a prayer warrior. I thought of myself as a prayer learner, but warrior? I mean, I understand the prayer is battling, but I just thought, that is not me. I mean, you must have the wrong person. Sorry, there's probably another John in this in this." Uh, room somewhere. He said, no, it's you. And he left. I was so confused. Thankfully, a friend of his and a friend of mine came over to me. He says, you look confused. So I told him what had happened. He said, oh, Bob is saying to you, you have an open heart toward God. You're, you're, you're interested in hearing his voice and doing what he has to say. You're interested in sharing your heart with his. That's what he means. I said, well, why didn't he say that? And he said, that's just Bob's language. That's just the way he does it. He said, can you receive it as a word of encouragement, John? I said, I will. And something kind of changed in me from that point forward. I chose to receive it, and I've been able to learn and grow in prayer. You can too. Four things you can do, and then why don't we have the worship gang come back up? We're going to transition into a time of worship. While they're coming, four things I think can help you and I grow in two-way conversational prayer. One, these are simple things, friends. I'm sure you already know them. I'm just going to highlight them. Talk to God as you would talk to a really close friend. Use your normal language. Be yourself. To meditate on Scripture. Read it. Let it roll around. Meditation, the word in Hebrew, means like eating a, a piece of hard candy. How do you eat hard candy? You don't bite into it right away unless you want to go to the dentist soon. You, you roll it from one side to the other. You roll it around in your mind and your heart. Meditate on Scripture. Let Scripture shape your prayers. Read the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of Paul, Peter, Moses, David, Deborah, Mary, Daniel, and Nehemiah. And three, learn to pray by praying with other people. You can be part of a growth group. 
or Fall Small Church. You can come to At Mercy Wednesday and the, and the group that Cassie has in the auditorium that prays or the class that Tommy's going to be teaching. And four, ask others to pray for you so that you can pray. Ask them to pray that you be filled with the Holy Spirit because one of the primary things the Holy Spirit's come to do is help us pray. I'm going to pray for us right now and then we're going to worship. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you so want to have regular conversations with us. You want to speak to us. You want to listen to us. Your heart is toward us and open to us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you want to change our lives. You want to change the world we live in. You want to change Minneapolis and St. Paul and the communities we live in. And we thank you that you have the power to do that. And so we welcome you into our lives. And we ask you to help us grow in communicating with you. Help us grow in communicating love for others with, as we pray for them. Lord, I, I ask that you might put some people in our mind right now. I'm just going to suggest, you know, uh, look at your hand, four fingers and a thumb. Ask God to give you five people that you could pray for to experience more of the love and the presence of God. People that may not have anybody praying for them now. Lord, I ask that you give us some people to pray for. And Lord, we thank you for those who've prayed for us. I thank you for my sister, Linda, who prayed for me for several years before I came to Jesus. Would you give us persistence? Lord, we each probably have people in our own family circles that haven't quite experienced your love. And Lord, we ask you to give us faith to pray for them and to bless them and to be good people in their lives. We ask you to do that for our neighbors and people we work with. Even this week with new people we'll meet, would you stir our heart to like just say like a quick arrow prayer to you for blessing on their lives. Thank you that you change the world through your people as we pray and serve you. We thank you. Help us worship now. Help us receive all that you want to give us. In Jesus' name, amen.